Hey, welcome back to Barely D&D. &D. This is Barely Explained. Uh, we're coming at you fresh, a little unhinged, <laughs> a little uh, a little mad. Um, me and Zach are recording this Those at the end of a long lads. work day. And uh, typically we have a little glass of scotch or whiskey or our enemy's tears. Uh, but Which are weirdly also alcoholic. Uh, yeah, uh, you'll need help. Um <laughs> But today we have. Why are our enemies listening? Because <laughs> the you got to keep your friends closer. Your enemies oh, that's, closer. That's true. That's true. Um, so we have coffee with whiskey and now some crown. So that's what we're drinking. Oh, we got a dink. We, we got, got a, a dink. We got a dink. I had the wrong side on the handle. You still got a toast. All right. We're here to talk about D and D and laugh at things that aren't funny, but we think are hilarious. I mean, we think we're funny, so that does the job. I know you're funny. I'm just concerned about myself. <laughs> job. Insecurity. Uh, long story short, we couldn't record, so now we're doing a little talk show, but we're also going to use it as an opportunity to make a cool announcement. Uh, we're going to have a new addition to the podcast feed pretty soon, a bi-weekly new campaign adventure that is going to be DM'd by me and Melanie. It's so cool. We've already played a couple sessions of it. It's been super fun. A second campaign. Ah, it's a little bit different than what, uh, the world that Zachary's built. It's extremely, it's extremely different. A little bit of a different vibe. The same people. So, I mean, it's a similar vibe, uh, but it's really fun. It's it's been really fun so far. It's still a little awkward. It's like taking your first steps. You're gonna fall a little bit. Um, I realize that I probably should spend more than thirty minutes practicing voices. <laughs> uh, but this week, in honor of this new campaign coming out soon, uh, we're not gonna name it yet. Uh, it, the name of it is on our Patreon right now. So if you're mm -hmm. if you're a patron, you already know what the name of it is and a little bit more of the vibe. Um, but we're gonna talk about the differences between being a new player and a, and a new DM because. Zachary is the, the classic, the classic, the vintage forever DM, the guy who got into D and D and then got stuck with a job of making the stories cool. <laughs> uh, you've played in a few different things, right? Like a few different, like a couple. I've different... done some one shots, um, and then uh, <clears throat> we, me and a couple friends, tried. One of our friends wanted to run uh, Curse of Strahd, and it went for like a handful of sessions, and then it didn't continue. That's one pre-done campaign that I would love to play someday. I've told you before, if we, I don't know, maybe down the line when we get tired of Yalbrin, I don't know if we ever get tired of Yalbrin, but if you ever want to do like a prefab campaign, and I think you would do amazing DMing Strahd. The only, the only problem is if I did like a module, I'd get halfway through it and I'd be like, well, this would be better if I changed everything. Well, yeah, and that's then what I'd change everything. That's what I'd want. Like, I'd want you to like take it. I would just end up remaking Barovia. I would love that. <laughs> Please do all that work for me, Zachary. Um, uh, what were you just saying about me being the forever TM? Exactly. But hey, I made a campaign. That That's you true. I can't say that anymore. Oh my goodness, dude. Thank you. It's so fun to play. Um, but I am the complete opposite. I, me and Zach both got into D&D &D independently at the same time. Which was wild. Crazy. It was literally the same time frame. I remember just asking him, do you know what D&D &D is? And him, like, he, like... That was like, a wild... You asked me <laughs> while I was working on one of the Yalabrin maps, and I was like, yes. <laughs> How do I break this to him uh, without sounding weird? Um, yes. Uh, but I was a complete opposite. I thought I was going to have to be the forever DM, but thankfully, Zachary already did it. So now I've played for almost a year now, which is crazy. I play a druid. Uh, I've gotten to almost level six now, which is mm -hmm. crazy. Imagine a year of playing a game level six yeah wow also well, isn't it i think i think sometimes it's easy to look back and be like man you guys leveled up so fast and then you stop and you think about it and you're like no you you've been where you've been for like a long time like you guys it's been almost a year we've played between 60 and 80 hours in yeah. a session i, I think 
Um, and you're not quite to level six yet. And we're not quite to level crazy. six yet. It's like 10 hours of level, which is fair, I think. Um, and there's still so much left to do. It feels like we're just starting on our yeah, on our story together. But we're going to kind of highlight the differences between like being experienced in D&D, but being brand new to one of the sides of it, whether that's mm-hmm. being a DM or being a player. And I think it's going to make some cool conversations. Zach came prepared with the questions loaded this time. So I'm going to mooch off of his great verbiage. Um, and so I'm going to let him take control. Zach, what's the first burning question on your heart right now? Um, you said something about mooching off of my work. And I just had a violent flashback to uh, my first semester of plant biology. Did someone did, mooch off your work? Uh, no, I just did all of our group projects. Uh, oh, so they all mooched off your I work. I tried to help my lab partners. I tried to let my lab partners help. And then one week they just showed up and every, all three of them simultaneously were like, yeah, we didn't do our stuff. And I was just like, okay. And then I just did all the rest of the projects. Oh my anyway, gosh. It's fine. We got good grades. Um, yeah, no kidding. So uh, the first one is centered around players. And... Um, it, uh, it's, it's after playing for more than a year, so it's kind of geared toward you, but then I can comment. Um, after playing for more than a year, what does it mean to be a good player? What does that mean to be a good player? Um, I think what it means to be a good player is balancing the party and yourself, right? Cause, cause it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Cause we're playing a game, right? And a game's only fun when everybody's having fun. That's true. And I say that loosely because art of telling a story is having difficult moments that may not feel good, but, but long run, it should feel great to play this game. Yeah. And so if your character is making every session a pain in the butt for everybody else for no good reason, it's what my character would do is not a good enough reason. No, it's really not. And so it's, it's a balance of, of making a character that you care about and that you can pour yourself into, but that also can contribute to this game that everybody's collectively playing. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that that was a slick answer, man. Um, do you feel like you're a good player? No. Why? I don't know. I just that was the first thing that came to my head. I think I'm a great player. You were just like, oh shoot, do I have to celebrate myself? No. Uh, uh yeah. Self praise <laughs> is bad, and I should always feel ashamed. Um, I I don't know. I think I'm a pretty good player. I think that I'm almost more excited for the other party members' stories than I am my own. And sometimes I forget to focus on mine. And um, I think a theme of like the last biweekly breakdown that we did, which is also on the Patreon, which is also called the third watch. Now, um, whoop, whoop, whoop. I kind of made a character dis- plot decision that was kind of uh, rude to one of the NPCs, but I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a bigger moment for boss in the long run than it was a sour moment for the NPC, even though it was a huge sour moment for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, it's, it's really, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting because, and I promise I'll answer the question too. I, uh, maybe this is my answer to the question. So I'm just kind of mooching off of your answer because I kind of agree. I think, I think, well, be, uh, being a good player is complicated because not everybody's going for the same thing with D&D, but subscribing to the main version of D&D that we're talking about where it's a game that people are playing, but also it's very much like we're all in it to explore a story together through role-playing these characters that we're exploring. So we're exploring characters to explore a story together. And so um, I use the phrase uh, collaborative storytelling quite a bit on our uh, discourse here. Um, but I think, I think to be a great player is to contribute to collaborative story playing, storytelling <laughs> in my head. And so I think that's kind of why, in my opinion, I don't know, again, it's so easy to just do the thing where like, I think you're great, dude, I think you're great. <laughs> but, um, I think you are a very good player because uh, 
I think really great parties are made out of different people. Like we could get a really interesting story with five Landons at a table, but we get a much better story, in my opinion, with one Landon and one Abby and one Jackie and one Micah. And I think part of why that all works so well is like, for example, Micah thinks almost not at all about any of the other characters when she's playing. And that's not an indictment. Um, as a result, Craig is one of the best thought out and best role played characters in the whole group. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's good. It's very good that we have someone who's, I mean, Micah is in the moment, head empty, no thoughts, just doing Craig. That's right. Um, and then on the flip side, like Abby is super into, um, the structure and the details and the lore. And I mean, that's not to say that she doesn't role play Greta extremely well sometimes, but overall she's much more focused on the story. And then Jackie's much more focused on like the interconnective tissue between characters. And you are much more focused on the group and the objectives. Yes, I am. Now, again, it would also be unfair to say that like, it's not like you don't role play boss. Sometimes you role play, you role play boss really hard. And it feels like that's happened with experience too. You know, sometimes it feels like, uh, like if you go back and you look, you look at the early stuff with Boz, which there's nothing wrong with it, There's scenes where you're just like, I don't know. And you go on. And now, like, I feel like you could hand you almost anything as Boz and you could just step into it confidently in character. Yeah. Um, and Boz has started to have some really amazing dramatic scenes, but for the most part, what you like in time slot of gameplay, um, it seems like you try to do is to make sure that everyone else is, is playing the game almost sort of in a way. And so in a way, I think, uh, I don't know, comparisons aren't always helpful. Um, but I, I think almost in a way, it's like you're the most helpful player in the party. You are, you are the player most actively making everyone else's experience conducive, which just enriches the experience for the whole thing. And I obviously can't talk about what we've recorded for the other group, but I promise I'm not just trying to say like to piggyback off of that. I have a question for you. Well, so last thought on this. Oh, okay. So um, I thought you were going to a new question. No, no, no. I was like, uh, but to piggyback off of that, that's the sort of player I want to be. I want to play my character like you play Boz, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously he's a very different character. So <laughs> many things will be different, but like the functional role I have in the group, I want it to be, I want to only be in the foreground when it's necessary. Um, when it actively improves the story and the rest of the time, I just kind of want to be enriching everyone else's and giving them the opportunity to be those characters. Because yeah. when you have that balance in the group, everybody needs a caduceus. That's all I'm saying. Did you have any specific goals um, starting to play the campaign for the first time of what it meant to be a good player in addition to what you've already said? Because mm. I feel like you've gotten to see a lot of different players in action and you've gotten to see the faults of people and the best of people and um, a lot of times if a group is willing to work together and communicate, being a bad player can really contribute to the long-term health of a group. If they have that arc of like, Oh man, I need mm. to be a better player. You know what I mean? Yeah. Being the problem character. Yeah. So I don't know what, what has forever DMing taught you about what it means to be a new player? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, that's such a, that's a really good question. I think, I think all that, that time DMing has made me think that maybe the best thing you can do as a player helping another player like start is to just create space for them. I mm -hmm. think that's the best thing you can do to make, um, social space and like to create an environment that's, that is reflective of what they need. And so if it's a very unsure character, 
Uh, like if it's somebody who's not comfortable talking a whole lot, creating an atmosphere in the game where there's not pressure on them to engage. If it's a player who <laughs> has a lot of confidence taking very bold choices, but then might really quickly kind of regret the thing that they did. Um, it's it's giving them the opportunity to have the centerfold, but then also like helping to rationalize the things that they've made. Um, and so I think a lot of times to be a player who helps make space for the other players. I, th I think that's, I think that's the main goal. Yeah. All right. Do you have another question for me? I do. Um, this is for you as a new DM. How does it feel to make a campaign setting and how on earth did you start? <laughs> um, it's just immense. I think that we started in different places when we went to make our campaign settings. I feel like you started pragmatically. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm projecting here to see if I'm if I'm right, um, which I may not be. You may. I may after the, I'm going to need you to say more. Before at I the end of this monologue, you may go nice, but no. I think you were <laughs> in reverse. You started off of it like I'm going to make a fantasy environment for my friends to play in. Yeah, and then from that, just naturally progressed. Okay, well, there needs to be kingdoms. There needs exactly. to be factions. No, there you, needs to be wars. There needs to be. Uh, a dynamic and fluid economy. There needs to be foliage. There needs to be monsters. There needs to be a sea. I didn't have an idea. I started off with the need for a setting. I, yeah. You're exactly right. Uh, we started off with an idea for a theme, yeah. right? And so we we don't have as detailed of uh, of a world as Zachary does. Uh, I I am just gonna try to improv a lot of it as I can and anticipate things. And I think me and Zach have had a lot of good conversations about things to consider when building things. You ask a lot of I tried a lot so of hard not to be obnoxious. In no, the process. well, that was a really it was a really great phone call because from that made the sessions like ten times better. Mm. Um, so we started with an idea and a theme of of something out of an emotion that we want kind of wanted to chase after. And so then we asked, how do we make this theme work in D and D? Yeah, and so. With that came the story, the places, the pantheon, the... the sick, by the way. Your pantheon's so cool. I remember you asking, and the regular D&D &D gods, too. And I was like, no, there's no regular D&D &D gods. Which was, the moment you said that, I was like, oh, heck yeah. I was like, let's go. Yeah. Because if there's anything, anything that's true about the pantheon in 5e, it's that it's big. And if there's a second thing that is true, it's that people don't know what to do with it. Do you feel confident jumping into that pool? Um, then I mean, it's, it's the Pantheon super cool to investigate. Um, but, uh, man, if you don't like the Pantheon or if you're just like, I don't know what my flag flag, the halfling God of feet is about just dump the Pantheon and make a new one. It's such a good way to approach it. Yeah. And I don't think a big, big part of the world is that the pantheon is kind of to blame. At least people think for a lot of the problems. <laughs> the narrative you've come up with the gods is so cool. And so a lot of the gods just like, it's been so long since people have interacted with a lot of them that they just, a lot of them are forgotten and don't exist. So it's there also, could be like a much broader pantheon. It's so fascinating to frame the gods as like, not necessarily the good guys, but I don't know. It's so easy to be like, oh, hot take. I as a mortal find the gods to be morally questionable <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like edgy story and you're like nice the greeks did it to death millennia ago wow um, but scrub i <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> if i say one writing you're doing great um but i think part of what makes yours so interesting is that it like 
it seems like they had like outright like positions and decisions that affected the world. I don't know. It's I as a player, I'm super fascinated. Of all the secrets that you've teased at in the world, none are more interesting to me than that. That is the thing I want to know the most about. Now I got to go write a lot more. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I, I I'm almost there's regular D and D gods in in Yalabrin, right? Um, yeah, Selun and Eldath are both part of regular pantheons. Really? No, they're they're both from uh, the player's handbook. The only the only one that I know of is Pelor. And that's from the Not Another D&D podcast. That's a regular D&D guy, yes. right? Yeah. He, he is kind of... Mm, okay, so this is kind of... Oh, do you know how they described it? Yeah. He yeah. was like a beach daddy Santa Claus surfing with like a big beach ball. Weirdly with like not the that light. off. <laughs> Strangely correct. <laughs> um, uh, in a like vibe sort of way. <laughs> um, I think I think he's also just been really heavily used at this point. So I think that kind of kind of contributes to his mystique. He's one of the deities, if not the deity, that Matthew Mercer has used the most. Oh, really? Because I think he's just kind of like the classic god. Uh, in 5e, I think he's the god of like a light. And uh, I mean, he, he's like at the head of the pantheon or something around that. Like he's just super powerful, classic, good, shiny god. Yeah. Um, and really powerful. Um, and so he's an excellent example of a standard one, but so far in Yalabadin, you guys know of, you've run into two, actually you've ran into a symbol of a third and then no one could ID what the symbol was for. So no one knows what that was. Was that recently or was that in the past episodes? That was recently. Oh, okay, cool. With the kind of thematic creation that, that Melanie and I have done, um, it, it's different because there was a lot of pressure, I think, when we were first making it because I don't know you go by example, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, every, everybody works off of what they know. I've purposefully not listened to a lot of critical role, so I wouldn't fall into some so random bad. tropes. I've started, I'm listening to campaign two every once in a while. I was I listening to it today. It. It's, I was listening to it today. What episode are you on? Oh, uh, the one where like the gnolls attack. What is it yes. called? Yes. Land. Is that what they're called? Yes. They're called yeah. gnolls. Yeah. They attack in that campaign. It's the best campaign. I, I like it so far. I love Jester. I know it's really basic. Also, to say. it's worth saying it gets so much better. Oh my goodness. Um, if I could only recommend one D&D campaign and it wasn't ours, it would be that one. I'm not joking. I, but anyway, I haven't listened to that. So there's, I don't know of any tropes in there. Like I'm completely unfamiliar with what's popular, what Mercer has done. And I'm kind of glad for that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't think the Matt Mercer effect exists, but I, I <laughs> but know. it do though. I think it does. I think it, I think it can. Um, I was going to ask you what tropes Ooh, what are the common tropes that you see when it comes to world building that maybe are derivative of like dimension 20 or ah, critical role yeah. that like you've had to avoid? That's a, that's a really good question. We were talking before we began recording uh, because I was all like, Landon, I wrote down a bunch of questions. You want to write some down? And he was like, no, <laughs> I come up with mine on the spot. And I was like, okay, whatever moocher. And then <laughs> he keeps coming up with really good questions. So maybe he's right. Um, okay. Some hot takes. A world, I'm not going to talk about this too much because I think I talked about this in another Bailey Explained. Um, I, th I think we talked, I think yeah. we had a, a Bailey Explained centered around DMing. Yeah. Um, and so I already talked about this ad nauseum and I'm not going to rehash it. But good worlds are ones that your characters belong in and that connect with their stories and that are, are full of the things that they love. That's it. That's all it takes to make a good world. That's it. That's a good world. 
And I think there's a lot of other ideas on what a good world needs to have, and it doesn't. And if it does have it, great. If it doesn't, fine, but it doesn't need it. So I think one of the really, really common tropes is calamity. I think everyone thinks that a good world needs a ton of secrets and a ton of um, really intense, serious events, um, historical events. I don't know, something like that. Uh, now, if you make a world without conflict, weird, because that's not what the world is like. Um, but, and I'm speaking hypocritically because I'm speaking as someone who made a world with a lot of secrets. And, and a lot of conflicts. And a lot of conflicts and a big historical conflict. So all that is true. But I think it's worth saying, I made the world before that other stuff was there. I added that in when it made sense for the sake of the stories that were being made. Um, and a, a great world doesn't need those things. And I think that's, I think that's, um, I think, I think you can listen to Critical Role or you can listen to Dimension 20 or, you know, any of those great podcasts. And I think you can get the idea that that's what makes a good world, that like a world is about the hook. And I think a really good way of putting it is that, you know, if your, if your story is bait on a, or like a fishing line and, you know, the, the first adventure is bait and it's on a hook, your, your world is not the hook. Your world is the ocean. And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you're fishing with a hook. Maybe you're fishing, fishing with a crab, crab trap. Maybe, you know, harpoon, whatever. harpoon. <laughs> you just throw the story at the players. Actually, that's pretty evident with some campaigns. <laughs> um, or maybe Choo -choo. it's literally just an ocean and they can go where they want, but the, the world is the ocean or the pond or whatever, not the thing you're fishing with. And so if it has the hooks, great. But if it doesn't, that's fine too, because if your players enjoy each other and you enjoy them and you play with their stories, they'll get engaged and they'll explore no matter what. So I know it's a weird, it's a weird response, but I don't think worlds need the super dramatic, crazy elements because maybe they do, maybe they don't. But like in uh, that one shot that we've never recorded. So I guess we could, we could totally have you guys play through it again and record it sometime. Oh, ba bakery in the third degree, but bakery in the third degree, which is, uh, don't steal that title. It's the best ever, and I'll fight you. Such a good, it's title. such a good title. I don't think I've ever titled anything as good as that. But uh, bakery in the third degree, like the, there's there's no secrets in the setting. No, Nothing there's dramatic. not. Like you guys know there's a secret. You know the brass company's under the building. That's it. Um, but like the world was the the favorite moments you guys had were just interacting with normal people. Yeah, I I don't think that's essential. I think you can avoid those tropes. I th I think that um, there's like a different standard of what's needed based on, on what type of world you built. Mm. I think when you have like a thematic world that has like a specific conflict or a specific story or, yeah, you know what I mean? Necessary. It's also a little bit worrying because I, the number one, the number one worry I had when playing this is that you guys were getting bored is what it felt like. Now don't, no don't, don't try to comfort me. Don't try to comfort me. Um, but <laughs> let me finish. Don't help. Shut up. What it felt like, it was like, okay, so we're going to start the session in this role play scenario, going to the next scene where we're going to role play something. Okay. Now guys, to finish it off, we're going to go to another location and role play and then go home. And the session's over. How was that? Was that fun? Everybody? Was that good? And that's what it kind of felt like. And I like midway, I was like, Oh, so like, we're just going to walk to different places and talk to each other. That's all we're going to do today. And I was yeah. like, I was thinking like, what could I have done to make it different or, or spicy or make those interactions more engaging? Because it really felt like a lot of surface level kind of like, hey, we're playing this, this and this and we're just yeah. going to talk to each other. Um, 
and granted stuff did happen that kind of diverted things that I had planned to be kind of like the main hook of the conflict for that session. Um, and I, I spent probably 50% of that time trying to think, so how do I make this interesting now? <laughs> you know? And so I think it's a good lesson of like, I don't know, like your players can do anything. And a lot of times they're going to do stuff that makes it to where you have to switch gears and you can't let the panic of having to switch gears overtake you because your players are the one that are playing, right? I don't yeah. know. It's, no, no, I'd I, love to yeah. get your advice on this for you to chime in. Well, so I think, I think maybe that's almost one of the hardest pieces of DMing is, is the ability to pivot. The ability to improv is so hard. And to improv well and to improv consistently. Like, the ability for a player to just be like, um, hey, can poop be a weapon in this world? And then for you to be like, it's canon. And then like quietly behind the scenes while no one was paying attention, create a whole history and story. I mean, you know, like to build the infrastructure to work off of improv is extremely challenging. Um, but I, th I think it's, I think it's one of the most valuable skills as a DM. I'm not going to call it an essential. And I don't think you even necessarily need to be good at improv to be a good DM. I don't think that's true, but I think it op opens up a lot of new possibilities. So I think for example, like I, from when you were talking, what I was getting is that what you actually felt bad about was that you felt like you were, um, <clears throat> railroading has too many negative connotations, but I, I feel like maybe you almost felt badly about like setting us on some tracks and then just being, and then being like, oh shoot, I feel like these tracks weren't interesting. Like I gave them an A, B, and C, and now I don't like the A, B, and C. I was fully prepared for y'all to go anywhere. There, it's weird because in this campaign, you guys have a schedule. Yeah. Um, which sounds really railroading. <laughs> but I've tried to point out. You like keep giving opportunities for us to divert. I keep, I keep putting out there like, hey, bureaucratically, yes, this is the schedule, but also. Don't follow it if you don't want well, to. Well, in that last episode, you gave us that huge opportunity to divert, and I think it's it's telling that we we chose not to. I, I chose not yeah, to. Yeah, you literally chose not to. And then it was still interesting anyway. And I think that's a good example of how, like, um, like if you're concerned about that, a really a really effective way to be ready for that is to... Um, uh, it's very intimidating as a DM. And you don't necessarily need to do it off the bat, but just giving players a scenario and you not knowing where it could go. Like you just being like mm. box and you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And that's, I think that requires more experience as a DM, but you just have to try it at some point. And yeah. then, and you know, you work on, you work on your ability to pivot and improv and you just, you just play around with that and you work with it and you trust your players to have grace with you. But um, I think to just, just the first time that you have the guts to just be like, here's the thing. And then you don't know what they could do with it. And then you're just going into it saying, okay, I'm going to force myself to improv this. And well, you get the best stuff out of that, man. Well, that's kind of what happened at the very end. Like the ending of the, of the episode we did for the campaign me and Melanie were I doing. I got the feeling. It was uh, a completely improv ending. I got the feeling. That, sh that wasn't happening. And even the last action that Abby and Jackie took, I was like, we're half stopping because we've been playing for two and a half hours, but also half because I don't know what happens after this. So <laughs> let's catch you on the And flip. you know, I think it's, I think it's actually a really good example of, I mean, again, I don't think you were doing anything wrong before then. We were having a lot, the session's great. We were having a ton of fun. But I think that's a good example of when you, when you push yourself to take that risk as a DM, I think that's part of why, because I do think you're right. I do think like from a narrative standpoint, it was getting very like, okay, the characters are funny and the interactions are interesting, but we are just going through a day in camp, which is not bad, but you know, 
and and you were looking for something more engaging in the story so then you just threw it at us and lo and behold um the two uh psychopaths in our party were like yes and let's uh, split the party and do what they said not to do i'm so excited that again i'm not going to spoil but i'm so excited that <laughs> we no longer have our balanced party structure i'm so ready for those consequences to hit them and i don't know why i want that because i'm in the party but i want that yeah i i think the biggest challenge of that session was figuring out what to do with your character and how to interact with your character i know your character was the problem I'm sorry. <laughs> and and the I part did is, not know what to do. My also, goal was to be the most helpful player at the table. <laughs> also because I didn't plan on doing all the voices. Uh, me, We're doing like a weird hybrid thing. I've never seen it done before. I actually have not ever seen there's, it done. There's two DMs. Okay. Me and my wife. And we both have NPCs split wow. up. And um, we have full authority to take control over narrative and descriptions. And we can make like executive decisions that that's what the, it is. And so, um, it's so cool. It's also going to come up to where when we get farther in the sessions that you guys are going to be able to choose which DM makes the call, <sighs> which is going to be interesting. Um, or That's we so could sad. flip like for big decisions, flip a coin and see who gets it. I don't know. Lots of stuff. That's Odds so are cool. evens rules. Um, I was going to introduce a new mechanic that I invented this session, but it didn't get, it didn't come up. I'm sorry. I'm so excited for this campaign. Uh, but I don't know. It was it was it was different also because a lot of the voices were on me and y'all interacted with some people that I did not expect y'all to. And Dude, so then I was like DM's and then I was like, oh, I guess I have to make this voice now and I never thought of it. And one time it was really great. Like it was yeah. awesome. And the next time the other person probably isn't going to have the same voice the next time you meet them. And, uh, and you know what? You just you have to make peace of the fact that that's just going to happen. Yeah. If Matthew Mercer can mess up, can accidentally do two different voices for a character, everyone can. Yeah. So you just you just make peace of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun. I think there are really good moments. Uh, Dude, it's so good. What? How did it feel being the character that caused the conflict? And yeah, does that, that make was... you a bad player to be the person to cause conflict? First of all, no. Easy. Good answer. No, it doesn't. It's great. <laughs> that wasn't a pointed um, question. I just wanted to hear oh, you no. say no. I have a clear answer. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but second of all, it felt weird because I, I think I told you going in, my whole goal was to be the kind of player who made your job easier. That really has been my goal. And I was very aware of the fact that last session I was the problem, which is fascinating because uh, I think what happened is... Was that hard to do? A little. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, and I think it was because... I made a player who's just about the rules for the most part. Yeah. Largely. Yeah. And I think what happened is that like you guys have had you guys as an example. And it's not like you guys are, you're not the most chaotic party to ever exist by any stretch, but you guys do your own thing and you're a wacky party. And my guy, my dude, just like when an authority figures like do it, I'm just like, yep. And I'm realizing you guys had no idea what to do with that. And I think you were kind of expecting everyone at the table to be an Abby or a Jackie. And Instead, uh, I was just like, <laughs> there are all these opportunities where you that you gave me to rebel, and I was just like, no, I'm good. I'm yeah. gonna follow the itinerary. Yeah. And halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm making a conflict for them in that. Well, actually, no, I was talking more about your interactions of trying to impress somebody oh, and with, how it with backfired on another player character. Yeah. And how I think it ended up being a really great character building moment the best for, your, in the, for yeah. your character because it, it enabled there to be an interaction and I, I assume that your character probably hasn't had in the past. Um, yeah. Or he's just dumb and young and is, and we'll have it a couple times. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes you got to learn. A I'm basing, I'm basing a pretty good amount on this character out of my real life experiences. Really? And I was pretty unthoughtful 
uh, in middle school. So I've done, I've, I've said a lot of hurtful things, not considering what they would mean to other people. Um, uh, but so, okay. So on that note, if we're talking about that interaction, um, I think, you know, actually, okay. It, it was a weird, complicated, man, you actually managed to make a question about me being a new player. This is, you're good at this. Um, it was challenging because I did feel genuinely a little bit insecure about, uh, because when you're a DM, the responsibility is on you to make the whole world. But you, it's not really your response. Like you're justified in every decision when you have a good dynamic with your players. Right. Um, so like if, if I show up halfway through the session and a shadow pops out of a wall and just stabs somebody through the heart and then they go into death saving throws, nobody's upset with me for that. Um, people might be upset that it happens, but everyone's like, of course the DM is driving conflict in a story way. But when a player does something like you're under mm. no obligation to do anything. Um, no one has given you the permission to do anything. <laughs> and so there was a part of me that was really, ins because I'm, I realized I make the story go where it goes, go where it goes. And so that's so obvious because I've literally said that in theory, but I've, it's never been mine to do that. And so I realized that I could and would shape the narrative. And so I made the call to do what I did. And I realized in that moment, I literally decided, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is good or bad. I decided I'm going to challenge Jackie. I remember thinking, Jackie's too comfy in this. And I'm just, I'm not like everyone else at the table feels like they know what's going to happen. And I was just like, my character wouldn't do that. I think you brought up a really great, a really great idea. And that is the idea of conflict and its responsibility on either side of the table. Yeah. Right. So as a DM, it is the expectation that you will cause conflict. Yeah. Right. That is, that is literally, and we talk about like, uh, fishing for with a hook, with a harpoon, with a crab net, whatever crab, whatever you fish with. Crab so far, for. you've had a very um like respectable fishing hook method. Yeah, and and I just tend to have a harpoon method. <laughs> the DM's job is is to moderate conflict, yeah, and to bring it in with an ebb and flow, and to use it as a storytelling tool. A character's job has a different relationship with conflict. Very, yeah, right. So your job is to cause conflict in different ways, but it's, it's almost more to react to the conflict that the DM provides, which can create different little waves of conflict that go up between the characters. But it's almost like for a player to initiate conflict of their own volition that is like not in response to what the DM's doing. It's just like, why are they doing this? It's your risk. If you're going to do that, it's your responsibility to make sure you're doing it in a way that respects the other people's stories because everyone has implicitly trusted the DM to shape their stories, but the players have the ability to derail everyone else's story. Yeah. And all the players are trusting each other not to do that. And so it's such an interesting role to finally to realize that I can create conflict and to try and figure out when it's appropriate to do that. And, um, I just, I just, I just went for it. Yeah. Appropriate and conflict. I think felt really, I, I felt kind of intimidated, but also, I don't know. I felt convicted that I like, I could, I could see us all doing the classic things. And it just occurred to me all of a sudden, why would any of us be friends? I was like, I'm a middle schooler. I haven't learned how to not be a butt yet. So I was like, so I'm going to be a butt. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was interesting. So what different types of conflict are appropriate 
for the player or the DM? <sighs> Let's start with the players. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's, I mean, that's a complicated question because different parties can handle different things. Um, it's, it's very dependent and relative to the group. Um, first of all, I think, I think conflicts that are reflective of a real life conflicts always need to be handled more carefully um, because people can have real life connections that are far heavier than the, the nature of the story. Um, but I think maybe like for a player, the majority of appropriate conflicts in my head immediately are interpersonal conflicts. Um, ones that are about like the sort of fights and problems and interactions that people can have with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, if you ever, I, I think it's a very dangerous game to harm another character. It's like during a, a long rest, the rogue is like, is the, every night steals money from the other character. Yeah. Or they go into a shop and someone is just like pickpocketing things constantly. Or like you, you rob somebody, you to lie harm, to someone. To, well, and I'm talking about to draw hit points, to draw mm. blood from another. Oh. I think that's, I think that is one of the most, uh, dependent forms of conflict and is only appropriate when um, it has really been discussed and considered. Um, and I think what's much more appropriate for, um, uh, for the majority of, of those interactions is to, um, uh, to make it about like interpersonal conflict. But the weird thing is the others aren't necessarily off limits. It just, you just need to be a hundo percent that your group is cool with that. And, um, <clears throat> In uh, the other campaign, there was actually a time that two characters almost fought each other, and the players discussed it beforehand because they knew it was going to come. So they didn't they didn't plan the interaction because that would ruin its authenticity. But they just talked about what lines were and weren't okay to cross. I think I think creating mechanics in the campaign, like if people want to do PvP, um, I don't know. There's ways that you can figure it out. I think you inadvertently created a really great way to do PvP in Yalabrim at the Blood Bowl, especially since it's like no consequence combat. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, we none of us fought each other. That's true. But I mean, very easily, like if two people Technically, like you can like if like if let's say me and Craig like get like furious with each other, you could go like, work it out. I say I say let's go to the Blood Bowl. Whoever wins, that's what we do. Or you know what I mean? I don't know. It's like technically a good conflict in its role. I think I think it does have two different roles between the DM and the players. Yeah, for sure. And um, not that it means that the DM has like a blank license to cause conflict and to do things, because I think that um, it's I think it's the it's the DM's job to con to to um, enact conflict responsibly, and I think it's the player's job to uh, do conflict considerately. Mm. I think that's the difference. I like that. The D it's the DM's job to make sure that conflict always has a purpose. And it's the player's job to make sure that conflict always considers the other players. Wow. I think that's the real, those are the standards. <laughs> Good point, Landon. Next question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, next question. What do you want to accomplish as a DM? And uh, do you think you're succeeding at it? No, I'll start with the first part. What do you want to accomplish as a DM? What's your goal? I want to get a good story out of a compelling setting that makes you guys feel like you're accomplishing something as players. Um, Why? Why do you want that? Because uh, I like to tell a story, and it's fun to tell a story that other people are interested in. I feel like you get the high of being an author author in real time, right? Like to know that some people mm. are reading your your story. Yeah. 
And I've always wondered this when I buy books from people, it's like, they get excited, but like, how do you know I'm reading it though? Cause I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't read it. I've, <laughs> Wait, <what>? I, feel, <laughs> I feel so bad. Cause there was like, there have been authors that I like go and I buy books from cause they're really cool. And it's like, yeah, they, they're, they're making a sale, but what they're excited about is that someone's going to appreciate their story. Right. Are you just admitting the fact that you buy a lot of books that you don't read? I've bought like three this year and I have not <laughs> read a single one and they're all from local authors and I That's feel really amazing. bad. I don't know if um, I've ever bought a book I haven't read. But the thing is with DMing, that's true. You avoid that. You force them to listen to your story in real time <laughs> and they have to they either have enjoy to it, to it. And if they keep coming back, then you know they're enjoying it. So it, it just sure. kind of like skips that. Uh, but you're not making any money though. So that's the toss up. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, that's what I want. If you guys want to play here, you pay me. <laughs> yeah. What are your goals as a DM? Because <clears throat> you've created a world full of things that nobody's ever going to see. Like literally, <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in that, a hard no, way. That's true. You've created a world so vast and so huge that four parties could play full time. That's true. For like a year and still and not have... necessarily run into each other. No, you you guys have passed by whole things that I've just been like, okay. And then I just put it away because I just know that's forever then. Yeah. Um. There's a whole... Anyway, I guess I can't... No, no, finish the sentence. Finish the no, sentence. No, 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 okay. no, no, Okay, okay. We'll um, talk later. We'll talk later. <laughs> Yeah, you got you guys sidestepped a major story thing a while back, but that's neither here nor there. Um, oh, was that when I cast silence on the guys at the dock? Nice try. Uh, uh. Oh, and you know what? No. Um, <laughs> you know, I've talked a lot on our different like uh, by the breakdowns, Braille explains about how you know like storytelling, and those are my goals. But I think in the course of you asking me this question, it's occurred to me I do actually have some different goals I hadn't thought about. You've told me you've written them down before and like looked at them. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how like you're part of your well, methodology so being a DM. I know, I know some of my goals I've already talked about on here. And if you'd asked me a while back, I would have said that those are my only goals. Goals like um, creating a respectable and safe environment, um, making people feel like their stories matter, uh, stuff like that. Uh, well, like they're, they're all very like logistical, testable, test testable. No, I said that right. Testable goals. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I've, I've realized recently, I think I have, I think I know what my goals are as a DM. And I think what I was talking about in the past were my standards that I wanted to meet as a DM. But I think I know what my goals are and I don't think I've ever written them down. And I think there's three. I want to make, I want to make other people believe that their stories matter. And I think that's reflective in that thing we've started saying at the end of our episodes. Yeah. Like, I want people to believe that they're, because I've, I think it's only the experience of DMing this much that has taught me that most people don't believe that their story is important. So I think that is legitimately one of my goals. Second of all, I want to share the things that are important to me in the course of telling stories. I don't even know that that's the most noble thing ever, but I feel that way. Like you, nobody asked for the non thing about like prejudice and, um, and, understanding yourself and social injustice, but that was important to me. And I want that to be in the world. Um, uh, and so that there's a lot of that. And then I think, I think I know my third one, I think is I want to create challenging stories because, and this one's interesting while you were talking, I realized I felt this way because I realize I've realized now that all three campaigns, I've really challenged my players and nobody asked for it. <laughs> nobody asked for it. What, what I mean to say is like, so like in the first campaign, 
the Broken Kingdom campaign, I was like, Daniel was like, I want to play in a world. And I was like, gotcha. And then halfway through, I was like trying to get everyone to re-examine their characters. Mm. And that was met with mixed reception. That was an important lesson for me. I think I realized that like my goals in DMing and uh, D&D are not the only good ones. And um, there were some really good moments with that in that campaign. But sometimes I just I just had to make peace with the fact that like those players weren't completely there for that. They weren't. Um, and some of the best things I did afterward were when I wasn't doing that to them and I should have made peace with that. But then in the legend of the new ones campaign, <laughs> everyone at the beginning of, of, of every character in that campaign, I've been like, what are your goals and, and what do you want out of this? And then they tell me, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to do that. And no one asked to be challenged as a character. And then <laughs> regardless, halfway through, I've challenged everyone a lot. I've like. I mean, there's there's one character in there where partly by their own actions, but also by me, like they've like kind of rethought completely who their character, like every single character. Um, Andrea created a character who's supposed to be a charisma fantasy and instead he's learned how to be a humble person. Uh, Kara created a character who was supposed to be completely background and I made her the center of the story. Jenny joined the campaign saying that she was just going to have fun and not get involved in the story. And then I forced her to care about it. Um, <laughs> Mo made a character who was completely self-interested. And now the chat, like I've like kind of tried to make him more interested in the other members of the party and to learn how to empathize. And like in my head, I wasn't trying to do any of this. Now, as I look back at it, I'm like, I'm obsessed with challenging players. I don't even know if it's totally good, but I do. Um, and like, I think it's for the better. Like everyone seems to love it, but it's right. And I think it goes back to the, I think it goes back to like, cause I think really what my goal is. So I think I'm interested in, sharing what matters to me and making people believe that their stories are valuable. But also I think I'm interested in, in, I think I understand how stories can challenge, can change us. And I want the stories that we share with each other to change us in the course of us telling them because I'm realizing Micah walked in and she was like, my character's funny. And I was like, haha, you said your character from a broken marriage. He is. And like, I had a phone call with Micah the other day where I was like, um, hey, I don't want to make anything uncomfortable with you. I don't want to push any lines, but like, let's talk about your wife and your son. And she's excited about it. She's on board for it. But I think I've already challenged Micah a lot. Like she started out with a Joe character and she just started taking him very seriously. And I'm not done challenging her on that. And Abby was, has, has very much been like, mm, I'm not going to do this and this. And I've, again, I, hopefully I'm never pushing anyone's boundaries, but there's been a number of instances where I've like pushed Greta into situation, like pushed her to self-reflect and like the whole tunnel, like with the Thespis thing, I could have just played that off. Like it was funny. And instead I was like, haha, your character's afraid of dark magic. You just killed a man. And then I just made her go sit in it. And then like Boz had, you basically loaded him in and you were like, here's his story. I was like, okay. And then this far in, I've been basically like, um, what does it mean to be a Druid? What do you think of the culture that you're from? And you know, we've talked about all that stuff. And my point in this is not how like I know what everyone's stories should be. Like that's not, I just, when, when it's what your players want and when it's done respectfully and when you communicate with your players about it only under those three circumstances, I think some of the best stories are ones where players come to the table and get challenged. Yeah. Anyway, it's working so far. So hopefully um, those are all the questions that I had. And I know that you had more. Well, I had a last one that we didn't 
uh, that we didn't. It's okay. Here, we, can, we can keep no, going. No, no, Thank you so much you. for listening to Barely D and D. Do you want to read out that question? Um, the question is, why is Landon so handsome? That's not what it said. That's what it said. That's not what it said, and you know it. Tune in next week for more Barely D and D. Scooby Wop. Oh, you gotta say the thing. Oh, the thing. Uh, oh, yeah, that thing that's central to our goals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening, and we want you guys to know uh, that life is an incredible story, and I genuinely believe that you're an important part of part of it. I said it so well. <laughs> I hope you're here with us next week. All right, thank you. Stay tuned for more barely D and D. If you dare. That was a uh, armchair expert reference. I don't expect you to know it, but Dax Shepard, if you want to get on our podcast, just hit me up. All right, everybody have a good night. Even morning, bye. (laughs)